Last week, um, I jumped into everyone's second favorite book, Hosea. Everyone's favorite is Leviticus, at least that's what Brent Smith told me. <laughs> Hosea is a weird book. The prophets are weird. And the thing about the prophets is that every time I read them, they still are prophesying. See, there's this kind of prophecy that's talking about what's happening here and now all around us. It's truth-telling about what God is seeing and it's spoken through a person, right? And then there's the prophecy of like what's going to happen in the future. And I'm always a little bit skeptical of that kind of prophecy because it seems to me most of the time that I've heard someone prophesy about the future is something along the lines of so-and-so and so-and-so are going to get rich by doing this or that or some kind of blessing is going to fall on someone. And I don't remember in the Bible prophets doing that. Like saying, here's this prophecy, you're going to be a kicker in the NFL. I say that because I know a guy who a prophet told him he was going to be a kicker in the NFL. And guess what? He never kicked a single day in the NFL. And it disrupted his faith for a while. I think it's dangerous when people start doing that, especially when it's about money and finances and fame and glory. Because I don't think God cares about that. I think what God cares about is the state of our souls and how that's reflecting onto the world around us. And that's what prophets talk about in the Bible. And so if you're good and comfortable and you don't want to be disrupted, stay away from the prophets. Because they won't do that to you. They will constantly pester you. They're, it's like one of our modern day prophets said, they rub raw the, the wounds of discontent. They just keep rubbing and rubbing and driving you crazy. Until you either have to ignore them or do something about them. So last week we were in Hosea chapter 1, which is likely my, I mean, it's way up a high on the list of my least favorite passages of Scripture. But I think we had to go through Hosea 1 to get to Hosea chapter 11, which is way up high on my favorite chapters in the Bible. It may not be my favorite, but it's up there high on the list. Anybody remember MySpace? You had to choose like your top five or whatever. Hosea chapter 11 would be in my top five. So here's some background information to Hosea. I talked to you last week about covenants and how a covenant was a promise between, is a promise between two people. And God had said, if you will be my people, I will be your God. But what happened was the covenant was broken because they stopped being God's people. They, they started like dipping their toes into the water of following Baal. They were, they were, they were hedging their bets. God had provided this escape out of Egypt, across the desert, parted the Red Sea. They walked across the Red Sea. The, the waters and mud encapsulated the, the Egyptians that were trying to come get them. And then they roamed through the desert and were given everything they needed. They complained about it some, right? Like, we complain about things even when it's exactly what we need. But they had been given it all. And they got to the promised land, and they started hedging. The Assyrians, they have a whole lot. Maybe we should start worshiping Baal like them, and because, because Yahweh isn't, isn't doing it exactly the way we want. They started hedging, and they broke the covenant. And God said, 
like an unfaithful spouse, I'll keep watching for you. So what led to all of that was King David was the king. Judah and Israel were united as a kingdom. And then David died and Solomon comes along and things are really good between Solomon. He's a good leader. He's a person of repute. He's rich, but he's, he's a person of good intentions and high integrity. And he was leading in the best way that he could. And God was honoring that and the people were following. And then he dies and his sons and grandsons didn't do such a great job. And so Jeroboam II comes along who was one of the worst kings of Israel's history. <coughs> Jeroboam started worshiping other gods and here's the thing about leaders. If leaders don't lead with integrity, people follow a leader who doesn't have integrity and start doing things that are not good. Amen? Amen. Wake up, church. Amen. There was a massacre yesterday. It's time to wake up. So this nation had been led by a leader who had no morals. His name was Jeroboam II. And they were following him into worship of idols. They grew apathetic. They started murdering one another, cheating one another, doing all sorts of unlawful things because they got hungry for power and wealth. And they were willing to step on their own people's necks to climb one rung higher on the ladder, not just their enemies' necks, which is bad enough according to God. So they grew cold and they grew discontent. And they had forgotten that God whose proper name was Yahweh, was their first love. But this guy, Hosea, he was haunted. He was haunted by God. He couldn't forget. He wouldn't forget who they were, who they were supposed to be, what they were supposed to be about. He was a leader. He wasn't about just managing and getting things done. He was about doing the right things for the right reasons. And he was a poet. The book of Hosea is just full of poetry. And I have fallen in love with poetry because there's such a efficiency of words in it. And I don't have that. You know that. Listen to this poem. Think about the images that God, through Hosea, is painting with words. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And the more I called them, the further they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the males, and they burned incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim how to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they didn't know that I healed them. I led them with bands of human kindness, with cords of love. I treated them like those who lift infants to their cheeks and bend down to feed them. You get the picture? It's a parent. And in ancient times, they would have understood this to be a father because it was a patriarchal society, but 
in a patriarchal society, fathers don't do what God is saying God did. This is one of the places in the Older Testament where God paints the picture of God as mother. They will return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria will be their king because they have refused to return to me. The sword will strike wildly in their cities. It will consume the bars of their gates and will take everything because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they cry out to the Most High, he will not raise them up. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zebulun? That's Sodom and Gomorrah. My heart winces within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I won't act on my anger, on the heat of my anger. I won't return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a human being. The Holy One in your midst, I won't come in harsh judgment. They will walk after the Lord who roars like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from, from the west. They will come trembling like a bird and like a dove from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And may God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation. May God give us wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. This is extraordinary. Most of the time, when a prophet is speaking, it's like, everybody's like, why would God be so angry? And my response is, how would you act if your kid were being a bully? I hope you would step in and punish them. But this one's a little bit different. What was going on was Jeroboam had sold them out. Where Israel is, actually still to this day, situated, uh, but especially back then situated strategically, there was the Assyrian kingdom and, and there was Egypt. And these two places were like the, the power nations of the time. And Israel was stuck in the middle, and especially when they were divided into two kingdoms instead of one, they needed help. Because if Egypt comes through, they're going to wipe everybody out, and Assyria has to back them up. And if Syria comes through, then they're going to wipe out Israel to make sure that Egypt doesn't get to them. And so what Jeroboam did is he sold out, and he quit trusting God to protect them, and said, "We will, if you will protect us, we will give you money. And he started to worship these other gods. People followed him. Sisters and brothers, we are leaders. You are a leader. I don't care like if you think people are born as leaders or people are created as leaders, like if you learn leadership, I don't give a rip about that. If you are a follower of Jesus, you follow a leader, and that makes you a leader of other people who aren't following him. And as leaders, our job is to lead with integrity and vote for people with integrity and challenge people who don't have integrity to do the right thing. It's a prophetic action. And it's not fun. I 
Hosea is haunted because he remembers, he remembers. And God speaks through Hosea and says, I remember, I remember when they were like a little child. How many of you are parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles? How many of you have somebody who's not cute and a little child anymore that you can look back on and be like, oh man, I remember when they were like that and their little voice and the way they smelled. Like, remember that? That's what God is doing. God is saying like, these people have turned away from me and I'm so angry about it. And I remember when they were little and I helped them walk and I held on to their seat on the back of their bike and would shove them and yell, keep pedaling, keep pedaling. And I would, I would cook their favorite meal for them and I would do all of the things that we do for our kids and we find so much joy in it. God is saying, I remember when they're like that, but now they're a teenager. <laughs> and they roll their eyes out of their head. And they won't listen. They have opinions about things that they don't even know about. And they think they're smarter than me. And God is sick and tired of it. He sends them to their room. And he says, give me everything you've done. Every piece of technology, everything you've got, you will never leave this room again. You're done. And I'm coming back for more later. When I was a kid, about, was I 10 or 11, something like that? My mom's yeah. back there, this is our story. I got this <laughs> My brother and I were latchkey kids, and uh, he's older than me, so I was, I think I was like in fifth grade, and I got home before him. He was in middle school, and he would get home like 15 or 20 minutes after me. And I ambushed him. I was like, I'm gonna get him good. And so when he started coming into the house, I had a big squirt bottle full of water, and when he came in, man, right in his face, I mean, in his eyes, I was going for it big time. And I had like screwed it, unscrewed it where it would shoot far because I didn't want him to get like his hands on me. And so I'm spraying him right in the face with it and the bite's on. It was a fun fight at first, right? And so he runs into the kitchen, opens the cabinet, reaches under it and grabs Formula 409 and comes out. Chase me around the house and and I run out of water and I don't have time to refill it. Like he's on me. And so I just run to the bathroom. I reach around the sink and I just grab the first squirt ball I can find. It's a green one. And I start chasing him all around the house. And it was a blast. We were, we were grabbing the throw pillows off of the couch and using them as shields, the cushions off of the couch. And, and, and I'm trying not to look over there. And, Eventually, he runs out of 409, and we start wrestling with each other. And he gets the squirt bottle from me, and he sprays me with it. And then I get the squirt bottle from him, and I'm, I'm about to get him good. And, and he goes, come on, come on, come on, wait. And I was like, I'm not falling for that. And he's like, no, wait, 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 wait. You have white stuff all over you. And so I stepped back, and all over the front of my clothes were white spots. Because that green bottle that I had grabbed was called Tylex, and it's bleach. <laughs> So the cushions were bleached, the throw pillows were bleached. Luckily we had that 1980s carpet that's like brown and khaki. And so you couldn't see the bleach spots in the carpet that much. And my brother, I leaned on his leadership at this point. And he was like, 
got to hang your clothes and we got to put some cushions around. We got to the beach. We cleaned the house so we vacuumed and we scrubbed the toilets and we did our best job of sweeping and mopping. And then she gets home. My dad was getting home a little later and he, she got home and he's like, sit by me. And so we sit on the couch next to each other. Like he's here, I'm here. Empty spot. We're in love. <laughs> and she comes in and is like, what is that smell? And we're like, we clean the house for you, Mom. And I don't remember much after that. <laughs> I kind of blacked out with fear. And here's what I remember. I remember my mom saying, you go to your room and you wait for your dad to get home. And she never said that. My mom's not a wait for your dad to get home. Kind of we didn't grow up in that family. And she said, I don't want you to make a noise. I don't even want you to, I don't even want to know you're in there. Because I'm afraid if I start spanking you, I won't stop. Never once in my life was I physically abused by my parents. But I came real close that day. <laughs> God is looking at this nation. And is saying, go to your room. Do not make a noise. If I hear you, I'm coming in there, and I don't think I'm going to be able to stop. And he hears them. And he's walking down the hallway, the wooden floor. They can hear him coming. Hosea is haunted. And they are not. And God gets right up to the door and remembers actually going to do something. 
right? Like you've heard me say that too many times because in the two years that I've lived here, we've had one is too many, but we've had way more than one of these types of events happen. And yesterday I was like, I'm not praying that anymore, God. I'm done. It's on you. Because we don't know how to fix this problem. It's too big. It's too scary. It's too weird. We don't even know where to start, obviously. Because when the, the most when a kindergarten classroom is shot up, what are we doing? Nothing. You've got to step in and do something. So tell me what to do. Tell me what to preach. And I started reading Hosea. And I realized we're created in the image of God. God relents. Me, as the pastor of Morningstar United Methodist Church, I'm going to ask you to do something. Stop. Stop reading the comments. Stop going to online places where you're going to get triggered. Stop writing things that you shouldn't be writing. Our job is to relent and to add love to the world. Right now, in the racial equality movement, there's a statement that says joy is an act of resistance. I want to say that love of the other is an act of resistance. When we get online and we're triggered and we write things or we post things or we take videos of ourselves and post them, what we're doing is we're adding more anger and more frustration and more hatred. And what our job is, is to add more love and kindness and forgiveness and compassion and to relent. And if we would start doing that, I think we're doing the only thing we can do because if I'm not mistaken, Chuck, are you running for president? Then nobody in here is running for president. <laughs> Our job is to do better and to be better and to allow ourselves to be positive. Be positive. Remember. remembering, we will find joy. And that's the flip side 